all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, January 3rd, 2022. This year we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. I'm the same guy. You're a hero, Mr. Hero. All right. Well, yeah, we also got our producer charlotte moore lambert on the show today uh this oh, is hello. the first episode where we don't actually have a fish of the week and it's more of a recap of last year we're doing a little transition and so this is kind of a retrospective and a prospective episode a little bit something different it's nice to be here sorry i feel like maybe I sh- should i put on like my podcast guest voice it's nice to be here guy no <laughs> well th- I-, I would like for you to introduce yourself to the audience out there yeah that'd be great because guy and i we do a lot on the front end so we're we're picking interesting fish we're recruiting guests figuring out what questions to pitch to our guests to bring out their knowledge and their passion but charlotte and the folks over at um, citizen race car they're kind of invisible on the back end of all that they pull the raw conversation into something really digestible for our listeners yeah it's weird because i've been here the whole time it's like i'm like i'm a ghost in the room (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Charlotte Moore Lambert. I am the producer and creative lead of the show. And mostly, mostly when we're recording, I just sit here watching and learning about fish from Raleigh, North Carolina, which is almost as far as you can get from Alaska. Uh, so it's been a really interesting learning experience. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how it's informed my ability to identify and catch fish, but I have been having a lot of dreams about fishing since I've <laughs> I've been producing this show. I had one just last night. So obviously I'm being affected on some sort of subconscious level. Did you have a connection to fish before this show, Charlotte? Um, other than being one in the way that <laughs> all of us kind of are. Uh, not not re- I mean, I fished. Uh, I fished a little bit as a kid. Uh, I was a Girl Scout in Northern Virginia, but we didn't do a lot of fishing on camping mm-hmm. trips. So not not a ton of direct experience with it. I can, yeah. I just want to like interview you now. Yeah. <laughs> I got all kinds <laughs> of questions say. for you, Charlotte. Ask them. <laughs> Time here. Uh, as sort of the, the fish novice on the show, at least relative to uh, Katrina and me, what really stood out to you over this past year as the most kind of fascinating thing that you learned or just something that sticks in your mind more than anything else? Well, for one thing, there are a lot more fish in Alaska than I think I would have realized. You know, most most of us lay people, when we think about the fish of Alaska, we think like, there's salmon. What else is there? And not, not only learning about um, just, just the sheer number that are there, but how important they are to the overall biodiversity of the state, how many other things depend on them, how delicate that ecosystem is, and learning sort of the extent of the human impact on the various uh, the various species there just over the last 20, 30 years and how substantially that is, has changed things. Um, and then I, I think maybe even more than that, I've learned so much about the relevance and importance of fish to the indigenous communities in Alaska and learning what an integral part fish are in 
the communities of Alaska Natives and how the disruption at even a small level can change things so substantially for them and how um, their fishing practices have evolved to accommodate the changing climate um, and how that is all of a piece with the way you know we've talked we've talked sometimes or alluded to sometimes on this show and another show i produce my life wildlife also in alaska about how alaska is the first place to feel the effects of climate change in in the united states and that has become very apparent to me through the way fish populations have changed and the way that indigenous communities rely on them so um that's been really eye-opening yeah and I've, I've enjoyed being exposed to that, to be honest. Yeah, we've had, a, I mean, over a dozen folks from indigenous communities around the state on the show this year. Um, and we're actually going to be having um, Brittany Sweeney come on in a little bit here. She's from the Kotzebue area. She works at Selawick National Wildlife Refuge. And we're going to have a, a bit more of a conversation around those perspectives. Before we do that, though, I want to hear just like really quick, if we can, because... You know, Katrina, you're with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. What this experience has been like for you two? I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I've been doing outreach around fish for my whole professional career. They're my favorite critters on Earth, and this is just a really neat tool. Um, and I enjoy having conversations with people who are fish enthusiasts as well. So Guy worked with me a few years ago, and um, he was an obvious fish nerd, so I thought he'd be perfect to help co-host this show and talk to people about fish, and I think he's done a great job. Um, but yeah, it's just been fun getting on these Zoom calls every week and recording with guests and having conversations. I mean, Charlotte, you cut these down to about 20 minutes an episode, but we have a good hour-long conversation pretty much every time with people. And yeah, it's just been fascinating and eye-opening and very interesting. I am kind of, I'm curious, why did you think of me for this show? I mean, I'm very happy that you did. But uh, what, what was it? I mean, I'm looking for compliments now, I guess, fishing <laughs> for compliments. Uh, but no, I'm curious. So, you were just kind of reached out out of the blue and like, hey, want to do this podcast? And of course, I jumped on you're it. Like, but... You're the biggest fish nerd I know, I think. So I figured right, I'd well, start, start high. High praise. <laughs> high praise. You know about all the details of all the fish. So yeah, I think just a big fish nerd. from a listener's perspective, I've really enjoyed your dynamic you guys both bring very different personalities to the table. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what it is, what the chemistry is here that that works. But uh, I've really enjoyed listening to you guys sort of build that relationship and um, set the tone for the show. It's been really, it's been very enjoyable. It's been a delight. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have Guy unaffiliated too, because yeah. I'm kind of coming from the government mm -hmm. and we've got a little bit more bureaucracy. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's just been a good kind of mix i think of humor and yeah guys the fish maverick kind of conversation yep. <laughs> i can just say what whatever i feel like um one of the funny things this last year just been seeing all the different places you've been in your car with all your stuff in your car your fishing rods and just kind of follow along oh, yeah. your so journeys the, i want the folks the folks at home should know <laughs> that guy records most of his episodes inside a vehicle of some kind uh, or or in a in a parking lot, often guys in a different state. Almost every time we record an episode, and that has just been delightful. 
Yeah, it's been a fun year. I've been going around catching fish. I got a job working remotely, so I can work from wherever. And I, uh, at the beginning of the year, got a little stamp trailer that I can pull behind my Honda Element, and uh, just been going around. I have spent so much money on fishing licenses in each <laughs> different state. And yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of where I'll, I mean, right now I'm in the Athens Church parking lot in Athens, Georgia. Uh, did a lot on the back lot of the north fremont high school in ashton idaho uh it was fun it's kind of fun when, when we started david who was the producer he's the big cheese over there at Citizen race car or whatnot <laughs> but uh he was like okay we want to make it sound like you and katrina are there both in alaska in the studio so don't let on that you're anywhere else we've kind of gradually gotten away from that although it's not something that comes up much but yeah just been kind of going around did some at my uncle's ranch down in Texas, up in Maryland, down in Florida, uh, a lot you... out in Iowa. That's right. I will say, it, it is interesting because we kind of have two styles of episodes. Usually we have a guest, and I really enjoyed those because, you know, you get to talk to all these different people. It's, it's really cool to hear about these different fishing techniques that I would have never otherwise come across. Uh, learning about these new things is fantastic. But then, on the other hand, we have episodes... It started out with just you and me, Katrina, and every once in a while we we come up with something else, and we really kind of get to cut loose a little bit. You know, I normally was going to mention that too. Yeah, when, when it's a guest, usually it's both of us meeting these people for the first time, and so you know, there's a little. It's not like we have a strong relationship with anything, and so you're, you're trying to be respectful, feel it out, and also ask questions. And you know, every episode is really about the fish. And so when we're dealing with something that we don't know much about, the episode is really focused on the guests and what they have to say and everything. And so there's not a lot of time for, you know, wise cracks or anything like that. But I do appreciate the ones where it's just us and we can uh, kind of just have to have some fun with it, even if we don't yeah. know a ton about the fish, like with, with suckers. Officially a quillback carp sucker. And those things were super strong. I was in the Potomac River, but again, just foul hooked them. I foul hooked white suckers before. Yeah. I just have trouble with them. I, I can't. I've tried. I've been that goofy guy up on like blue water trout streams in Montana trying to catch long nose suckers with you got everyone out there with their thousands of dollars worth of Orvis and Sims decked out head to toe thousand dollar fly rods. And I am out there chucking worms trying to catch a sucker. I'd hook into 17, 18 inch rainbow trout and be disappointed. You got to keep trying. Get the sucker slam. I would appreciate, and I'm sure the suckers. I was just thinking Sucker Lovers and Sculpins were two of my favorite episodes because they were pretty pretty fun. And yeah, I think just that um, kind of you have to be a little more formal when there's a guest, be respectful and everything. And, so it's yeah. always nice when we get guests who also don't take themselves too seriously. I mean, we have had some really good guests who were just a lot of fun, uh, which is a really smooth transition into um, who our favorite mm -hmm. guests were. So I would like to hear from the hosts first who your favorite guests were. I had a hard time <clears throat> picking my favorite just because everyone brought such a unique perspective and it's just hard to pick. But Frank Von Hippel really comes to mind. He like blew me away with his from extreme fish nerd stickleback information it was i was just like floored by the amount of detail that he was able to provide about those fish i was, I was a little nervous for frank because he was one of the the bigger guests that we'd mm -hmm. had on you know he's 
gotten national attention before he'd been on Joe Rogan and whatnot. And I think that's one of the few times where he'd actually recorded two episodes in the same day. And the earlier episode, I didn't think went as well. I mean, it still sounded good at the end of the day, but I was coming into it like, ah, this is a big name. Relative mm-hmm. For us, it was a big name. And I had mm-hmm. coming off of a bad performance. But then once we got rolling, he was mm-hmm. a pleasure to talk to. So I was shocking some fish when I was working with Fish and Wildlife Service down on Kodiak Island. And we got, of course, plenty of sticklebacks and got some pictures of some of the nice, beautiful males, red bellies and everything. One came up that was like a whitish blue looking thing. I wasn't sure if it was a color morph or if it was just sickly. And I wanted to make it your diagnosis. I actually have a picture of it if I could share my screen. I don't know if you need that or if you're good enough with my description. But what was up with that fish that I saw? Yeah, I don't think I need to see a picture. You most likely found a stickleback infested with schistocephalus, which is a tapeworm that's mm. specific to stickleback. Mm. What happens is that these fi- the fish eat copepods that are infected with the, with the schistocephalus worm. The worm then grows up in the stickleback, which is the terminal host for the worm. Mm. And the worm, its next phase of its life history is in fish-eating birds. So it has to get itself into a fish-eating bird. And the way that it does that is it turns the stickleback into a blotchy white color to make it more conspicuous. And it changes the stickleback's behavior so that it swims at the surface of the water slowly and doesn't effectively run away from predators. And in fact, if your listeners try to go out and catch stickleback, they're pretty likely to catch just a cephalus infected stickleback because they're the easiest ones to catch because they're trying to get caught. Uh, not wow. of their own volition, but the parasite has changed their behavior. Evolution is crazy in that way. And so then, then the bird eats the stickleback, and then the bird uh, defecates out the eggs of the schistocephalus, which are then eaten by the copepod, which is then eaten by the stickleback. Oh, my wow. gosh. Well, it's a good thing I didn't eat that one then. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt you to eat it. It won't, it won't infect the person. All right, so if you want to eat the, schist- the tapeworm of the stickleback, you can. So he, he's definitely a standout. I love how quick on the draw he was. Like, so that happened. Yeah. He was like, no, I don't need to see a picture. Sometimes, you know, maybe that's editing magic, but no, that was live time. He (laughs) was right on it. It sounds like they were pretty common, but uh... no, yeah, that was, that was live. He just had that. That just makes me shudder. I know. I mean, I really liked um, chatting with Sabrina Garcia from Alaska Department of Fish and Game. She came on two episodes with us, the lamprey episode and salmon sharks. And she just kind of, I could just tell she was smiling when she was talking about um, these fish and fetal sharks eating their compatriots in the the womb. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, she was just like that excitement (laughs) came through. Like maybe a little too excited (laughs) about that. And the salmon shark has a really cool mode of reproduction where the female will, the the embryos will develop within the females. And as they get larger, the female will extrude unrealized eggs. And these developing baby salmon sharks will feed on the unfertilized embryos. And that's called oophagy. Cindy has showed some pretty awesome pictures of these salmon shark embryos. And they've got the tiniest little teeth. They're just in their mother's womb, just chomping on these unfertilized eggs. Yeah. Oh my gosh just little ballsy okay guy who was who was a favorite for you so yeah like katrina said it's very hard to to pick a favorite it's also hard to decouple the guests from the fish uh because you know there's fish that are just so fascinating it's easy to talk about them with with anyone who worked with them so you know some ones that come to mind uh martha whiting uh she was a great guest talking about she fish 
uh, Solomon David with, with alligator gar. Again, I'm a big fan of gar and fish that are those. Uh, they're not Chelios, but they are more advanced fish. They're Actinopterygium, so that's really cool. I'm going to go with kind of this dark horse candidate here for my favorite guest, though, and go with Jared Stone. Mm -hmm. uh, he was He's a friend of yours, right, Katrina? Or Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. When, when we got on and was talking with him, I felt there was a, just a good kind of instant rapport, me and him. I don't know if that goes both ways. Uh, did, did he ask about <laughs> me? Um, but no. Uh, no. He asked for your Instagram no. handle. <laughs> uh, but I, I really liked the conversation we had with him. Again, Lake Trout, they're one of the few Salmonids, or I shouldn't say, they're one of the few Salmonins that I haven't caught in this country. Mm. And uh, so that maybe it's, again, the fish issue. But I, I really enjoyed talking with Jared. For me, my favorite time to fish for them is in the spring. Out of nowhere, you see this dark mass come out of nowhere and start to follow your spoon. And there's like three to five seconds there where you're like, oh, he's coming, he's coming. And then finally, when that fish grabs it, they fight so hard. And they're just, they're so much fun to catch. If they got this coloration that... I like Jared's episode too. He had a really good, um, I remember he was talking about smoking lake trout and it made me really hungry. <laughs> so I think he had some really good, a good recipe at the end there. I prefer to use a wet brine and I'll use uh, soy sauce, brown sugar. You can put in other little things that, that maybe uh, rice vinegar or orange juice. And you'll let the fish marinate in this for anywhere from 45 minutes to overnight. And then the next day, you'll pull the fish out of that marinade and run it under some fresh water to get rid of the excess uh, marinade. And then you'll pat dry the fish with paper towels. And then you'll start it in the smoker and I'll smoke the fish anywhere for uh, three to six hours, depending on the size of the pieces that I'm trying to do. And then when I'm done with it, um, the best smoked fish is the fish that's just coming right out of the smoker. And a lot of, a lot of fish is eaten just then. <laughs> this, this show always makes me hungry for fish. Um, even fish that I've never sampled, can't envision the, the flavor of. Just the number of times we've had people talk about all the ways that you smoke fish garnish season them or even just talking about like a beautifully fresh caught fish just on a cracker is there a particular recipe that or that was inspirational to you i mean i, I love sakoric eskimo ice cream i don't know that that's the something that i'm gonna try to eat mm -hmm. on a regular basis but that was the most unique one that i recall hearing about Akutuk is uh, Eskimo ice cream. You mix, uh, uh, you could uh, boil sheepfish, you squeeze out all the uh, water so it's extremely dry and flaky, and then you could mix it with uh, caribou fat or moose fat or muskox fat, and you mix it with that and um, add a variety of berries, whatever berries you have. You could mix sea oil in there and sugar, and you whip it up kind of like a kind of like a whipped cream or something kind of like a you just whip it, it uh, the fat of the caribou moose or muskox once you whip it it turns just like a whipped cream i've had that i've had that before and it's it's actually really really good the i've heard it called agudic and it's yeah it's pretty amazing 
you know, you'd think like, oh my God, uh, muskox fat, caribou fat, ooh, you know, fish, ugh. and then when you taste it, you're like, holy smokes, this is good. <laughs> it sounds like you would really have to do quite a few sessions of working out at the gym after you have some of that. Like, if I had that every day, I would be putting on the pounds, which... If I was living up in the Arctic Circle, you'd have to. Yeah. Charlotte, who was your favorite guest? I've got a, a bunch of contenders for favorite guests. Um, I really liked Ray Troll, the artist, just because he's such a character. He does things his own way. Um, I loved um, uh, Dan McCaw. I oh, yeah. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pick like Dan McCaw as maybe my favorite storyteller and responsible for my favorite moment on this show. I did love Solomon David. He I didn't know that was my first episode. So I, that one's kind of special to me because that was oh, the first one that I produced. Spring Break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that was the two part episode. So it was sort of a learning curve for me. But I I didn't know before starting this show that there was such a thing as a fish celebrity, and mm-hmm. um he like the gar guy that's his that's his thing that's his personality and you go on Twitter and he's verified over there and Hank Green ended up having him on on his show and stuff it was a whole thing I I really enjoyed that and it's kind of flat and broad like an alligator's now. I oftentimes describe them as an alligator with fins instead of legs, but gars have actually been around for a longer time than alligators. So I think we shouldn't be mm-hmm. calling alligators. They're actually gars with legs instead of fins. Nice. You know, we want to be <laughs> fair to who came first. But uh, yeah, I think that's the, the, the best description there. And they've got these diamond shaped armored scales cover the entire body. Their face is- um, and then I also loved Joanne Bryant, who did part one of our Arctic grayling we did like a part one and a part two and she did the cultural part of it and she did a lot of it in her language she had such just a lovely demeanor and a lovely way of describing the arctic grayling so in Guten language we call grayling grayling has a rainbow colored reflection with beautiful fins it is such a beautiful fish but it is also really good to eat and very nutritious what are the uses of grayling in Gwich'in culture? Uses in Gwich'in culture is that the throat piece of the grayling is used for a fish bite. You can cut off the small piece of throat and put it on a hook to catch more fish. Replace the bite every five fish because the smell is what attracts the grayling to the hook. Another use is a grayling bag made from the grayling skin. Oh. And I will share the process. And then, you know, she goes, after that, she goes on to describe the process of making grayling bags. But there was just like, she had a cadence and a flow that just, she felt very grandmotherly to me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Very warm and accessible. And I loved hearing her talk. I could just listen to that woman talk for for a really long time. Yeah, she's a good storyteller. She was lovely. I'm lucky I get to work with her pretty much day-to-day basis. She's up here in Alaska, works for Fish and Wildlife Service, and... Yeah, from Arctic Village. That's awesome. Originally. I had a buddy um, of mine when that one came out. Uh, he texted me that he particularly enjoyed that one. And I think that was one of the earlier episodes, too, that I worked on that had the Alaska Native perspective. And one thing that I've really enjoyed and found consistent about all of our Native guests is their 
ability to tell a story. And to that end, we have been very fortunate to have some help finding our Alaska Native guests. And um, I think we have the individual responsible with us this very day. Brittany, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable introducing myself. So I'm Brittany, Brittany Sweeney, Avanga Atanorak, Winga Guzfanak. I live in Kotzebue, Alaska. I grew up in Dillingham, Alaska, but um, now I live in Kotzebue and I work for the Selawick National Wildlife Refuge here as the outreach specialist. And Brittany has recruited a number of our guests for the show, so welcome, Brittany. And yeah, yeah we thanks. were just hoping to get a perspective. We've been trying to um, cover a lot of different voices this year, this first season of Fish of the Week, and um, just with the guests you've recommended and a lot of the Indigenous folks we've had on the show, we just wanted to kind of hear from you about the importance of including those voices and yeah, just how you how you met the folks that we've had on from the Kotzebue area and just get a li little bit from you on, on that. Yeah, thanks, Katrina. So I've worked with Katrina this past year to line up several guests that have uh, appeared in various episodes of the podcast. And I really enjoyed the partnership working with Katrina because a lot of the people that live, well, all across Alaska, but here in the Kotzebue area in particular, you know, they know a lot about fish. They know where to catch them, how to prepare them, and just like have these really cool stories that aren't normally included in the mass media. Um, so when it comes to people that are connected to fish, I think rural Alaskans have a lot of, uh, of those connections and in particular, Alaska native peoples. And fish are an incredibly important resource up in that area in particular and other areas around the state. But I mean, Selawit, Kotzebue, I mean, those are on the water communities um, and folks pursue fish throughout the year. I think for a long time, fish have been a more dependable and reliable food source for communities um, in that, you know, with, with the case of their resident fish, they're there year round. Um, but even with the fish that go out to the ocean and come back, you know, they, they fairly reliably come to known places where people can harvest them. And if you compare that to some of the mammals like caribou or moose, sort of, they go through these big population fluctuations. And so I've heard people say that like, yeah, fish are what we depend on when the other animals aren't available. So I think mm -hmm. um, that that plays out too. If you look at a map of Alaska of where the communities are, um, most of them are along the coast or along rivers or near bodies of water where they have access to fish as this great food source. And so people have lived with that resource for a long time and have developed all this knowledge of, of the fish just through lived experience. And then that's shared through intergenerational knowledge, like traditional ecological knowledge. From the perspective of a layperson and a listener who hasn't been to Alaska, has been learning about this cultural experience through the course of producing this show, um, it is, it's fascinating to me how you can't really talk about fish in Alaska without talking about the indigenous perspective and vice versa. They they seem so inextricably linked, and um, I'm I'm really grateful that we've been able to have guests who can offer that perspective, and I'm thankful for you 
being able to help us find those folks because they've been some of our most uh, educational and, and lovely guests. I appreciate that you are talking about the indigenous perspectives when you're telling the stories of fish in Alaska because that isn't always the case, right? If you look at the years of scientific literature or whatever, there's a lot less documented about those indigenous stories and indigenous knowledge. But right, for anybody who lives here, like that's super interesting and apparent and cool and amazing. So the fact that that's part been part of this series is one of the things that I, I really appreciate. So, um, so yeah, I've worked to make some arrangements and help and facilitate with uh, Sikoric Whiting, who appeared on the podcast and talked about she fish. And then with Cyrus Harris, who talked about catching white fish at Anigak, mm-hmm. and with Raymond Woods, who shared about catching burbot or mud sharks in an under ice trap. And then most recently, uh, Jimmy Evuk from Kotzebue, who talked about um, catching tom cod. So all of those folks I've had the chance to meet in the course of my work here. Um, several of them are close partners that we work with. And they're all residents here in the town where I've lived for over a decade. Yeah, and I guess I mean one of the one of the things we were hoping to talk about today was favorite fish, and whitefish was was mine. This is a, a family of fish, uh, and they're just incredibly important in Alaska and the Selawik area, Kotzebue, and um, you know, Sikorik talked about fishing for them in the winter. Um, they have their migrations in the fall. Um, they're just a really kind of cool. Um, yeah, year-round species that are it's really important to people. You get like an 80-pound test because if you get something smaller, the fish are so big and they're so aggressive, then the, then you're going to lose the big one. Who wants to lose the big one? Everybody that I know, they um, make handmade jiggers, handmade uh, nixics. You make them either out of wood. Um, you could use like a big moose rib. You know, it's kind of um, kind of curved. You have your handle on one side, and you have your uh, line on the other. And you take your line and go to the front and the back of the hook to make a make your line longer or shorter. Wow! Uh, so you're not even using a rod. You're you're kind of got your own set up there, and you're kind of hand lining in a sense with eighty pound tests and a big spoon for giant fish. That's amazing. Yeah, you know there are smaller rods that you could buy that that are like two feet long or so. But those are wimps. I mean, and I say that because um, because if you want to lose your fish, up to you. Or if you want to, you know, pull up something that's more aggressive and that has more power to the, you know, more of a backbone in pulling up your fish, then you could use that. And I've seen yeah, that. well, Cyrus stopped by, happened to stop by our office this morning, and um, we are just chatting, and he was talking about his adventure last week of going out to check his under ice net when it was 40-something below and uh, how many fish that he brought home and how that happened just in the nick of time because Deering's store froze up in the cold weather and he was able to send them a couple hundred pounds of fish to help them get through. The harvest of whitefish just happens in my backyard. It used to be either a boat ride or a dog team ride or just by any means getting there to do the fishing, camping, and harvesting. But as we were chatting, um, he mentioned um the podcast again and said i really need to get those folks up here to see it you really you really can't understand it until you see it we need to get some some video footage and some yeah. uh, aerial pictures and I, I got it planned out in my head of how we're gonna 
do the whole recording. So tell them again, they need to come up here and video. I would awesome. love that. I, I would love, love to make love a that. video version of, of this show. That yeah. would be fantastic. Yeah. And I've, I've often longed for that and lamented that a podcast is necessarily an audio medium because so much of it seems like you've got to, you got to go and see it. Um, yeah. I yeah. think he felt that, you know, he had, had been trying to describe to you all these things that he didn't exactly have the right words for, like, you just got to see how the water flows out of the lagoon and so mm -hmm. on. But, mm -hmm. Yeah, we were just talking about that. And we really liked when we had Jimmy on, he had his frozen Tomcat and he was able to show us. Yeah, that was kind of over Zoom, but that was that was really cool. He did a show and tell. Could you tell us a little bit about this fish, like what they look like and why you like fishing for them? Could I step outside for a second, get one for you and show you? Yeah. Please do. <laughs> Hang on a second. Okay. So so Jimmy's just left the room. He's going to come back and apparently show us what one of these fish look like. So we'll hopefully get a good description for y'all. All right. This is... Oh, cool. A top. And he's frozen. Yeah. Is it frozen? It looks almost like a plastic toy. It's frozen with its fins all out and everything. This one, it, it's about maybe 12 inches or so. Jimmy is measuring it. Yeah, 12 and one-fourth of an inch. There you go. It looks like a cod. I mean, it's got the fins like a like you would see on an Atlantic or Pacific cod. It's about a foot long. Jimmy's holding it. It's frozen. This particular one is about 12 inches, and they get up to 20 inches. They vary. 20 is kind of big, but this is kind of medium here. It has green top and white on the bottom. Always got his mouth open and his eyes are like real big. And I mean, it looked like it's had too much caffeine or something. <laughs> well, I was really happy that uh, it worked out for Jimmy to do the interview because we weren't sure at first, Katrina and I, if he was going to agree to do it or not. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, because he is one of those people that um, has the skill of making the tools, right? There's all these different roles that, that people have. And some of it is knowing where the fish are are at what time or being the person who spends hours and hours out there looking for the fish and tells everybody else oh yeah they're biting but some of the folks are the ones who make the tools or make the lures and and jimmy's a tool maker like he makes ulu knives for cutting and he makes the jiggers and so it's cool mm -hmm. to have that little bit of knowledge and and history represented on the his story as well Coming from the perspective of someone who's grown up in Alaska and lived there um, your whole life, Brittany, is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners about Indigenous communities or anything you'd like to see this next year on the show when we kind of expand more nationally to include all the other states as well? Well, just looking forward, I'm really hopeful that um, I'll hear more stories from indigenous people in the lower 48 and like other groups of people that culturally depend upon the fish because i am really interested in that human connection piece right like um the people who live with something for a long time um, they have knowledge about how to live in balance with it and it's just kind of cool to learn that because as a society and at, across the globe we're trying to learn how to be more sustainable and keep things in balance. And so I think there's a lot of like wisdom and knowledge and perspective there. So I'm looking forward to hearing more because as Katrina said, I've lived in Alaska almost all of my life. And so 
um, I know less about some of these communities in other parts of the country. And so I think I could go along on a little storytelling journey. Although I will say growing up in Alaska, sometimes when you're immersed in something, you don't necessarily appreciate what you have. And then when I went to the lower 48 for college and I lived, um, I lived in Northern Utah, um, I was, you an Aggie? I am. I'm, an Aggie. I'm, not, a, I'm not, I'm not a true Aggie though. If you know the mm -hmm. difference. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's like you have to step outside of something in order to really appreciate it. Right. I was like, Oh, the indigenous people are not really present here and these stories are not really present and this is a developed landscape and it was just super different and so that gave me way more appreciation for Alaska and I think part of my motivation to come back and raise my own kids in rural Alaska just to live in a place where it's like the rivers are free-flowing the fish are healthy and abundant for the most part and it's a really cool thing about this state. It feels like this has been a big year for indigenous voices in general yeah. um between you know like stop line three and um the conversations we've had about um indigenous people's day versus columbus day and all of that and um on tiktok there's a huge indigenous community and an ongoing conversation of lots of really great educators there talking to young people and so um this is all to me felt sort of of a piece of that and mm -hmm. um I'm hoping that in 2022, expanding that will just be an opportunity to compare and contrast more of those cultures and give a bigger platform to even more of those those voices. And I'm really excited about what I'm I'm going to learn. Me too. Yeah, I think a lot of the rest of America, I guess, is catching up to being more aware of the indigenous people that live in our country. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I agree that that's been a cool thing about this podcast is to include those indigenous voices. And, um, you know, one of the issues or, or problems that indigenous people have had to face for a long time or dealt with is um, how there's been this whole issue of indigenous erasure in, in the mainstream story. Like, oh, speaking of indigenous people in the past tense, right? Like, oh, they lived here before mm -hmm. or they were or they did this. But just really like bringing that to the forefront that indigenous people are still here and have always been here and um, hold all this knowledge. So yeah, just keep up the good work and keep up the learning too for everybody who's following along and listening. We will awesome. do our best. Now that we're still talking about the indigenous perspective and storytelling, and, and I think I was thinking about this in terms of like anthropomorphizing fish and how I think a big part of this show has been to sort of say, like, fish aren't boring. <laughs> fish, are, fish are cool. They're super like the, cool. Fish are cool. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know if we need to anthropomorphize them, but like... Um, but just like standing just, up There's for a fish. lot to them that people don't understand and they're hard to see and they're under the water. So unless you're fishing for them or eating them and seeing the whole fish on your plate, you're not actually really getting to know all the fish so this is just yeah. a way to really kind of dig deeper into who these fish are and who the people are that really care about them so yeah and even i mean it's not really this this one wasn't really a joke but i still kind of chuckled to myself a little it was the the, the call the call and the hooligans that's right we we're talking about how they're happy they're fish happy. they're usually in the river you can just use the, the current of the river to dip to dip down and you're supposed to go Ooh. And that's kind of a, that's like a, a sign of respect for the, the hooligans. 
is they're they're said to be a happy fish. Huh. So you gotta you know you gotta you gotta show your respect and you know that you're happy that they're there, that they're there. That was Ted Hart. That he was, was one of my favorite guests too. I really enjoyed what he shared and yeah, just kind of that respect towards those hooligan. You respect them if you want to catch them, and yeah, I, th- I thought that was really nice. Happy, I think that might be the only time that I have heard happy used as an adjective to describe a fish before. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just not something that you... But it yeah. seems right. I mean, you, you get a lot of colors, you got a lot of, like, talking about strong and their spine. And everything. You don't get, like, personality attributed to a fish, let alone a happy. That's a good, that's a good point, guy, because, like, you know, doing outreach around fish, you have, you have all these charismatic animals that people really are, like, identify with their personalities, like, whatever, panda bears or seals or birds whatnot um but fish yeah they don't they don't tend to have that personality i guess that people they can't make they don't have expressions with. they don't have physical expressions they, they you know? i remember this was kind of funny a few years ago i was talking to somebody here about fish and i i, I mentioned like oh the, the face of that fish it's really you know I, I had some adjective for it he's like fish don't have a face and i was like what <laughs> so i think um yeah, I, that's that's a good point. And the happy fish with the hooligan, that's cool. But yeah, fish have I think it's that they all don't, kinds of they don't got eyebrows. It's just a little bit harder to pull out of them. <laughs> they don't they have, have eyebrows, eyebrows on them. It would, yeah, do. that might make it. They don't have very like squishy, flexible faces. Is the thing? It's sort of permanently <laughs> suckers. You know? you, go suckers. check out a slingjaw rat and come back. <laughs> I will go look at a yeah. slingjaw rasp, but first I'm gonna since oh, we're talking cool. about this, this is a, a Ray Troll clip that feels uh that feels pretty relevant to me, actually. Yeah, I know being a creative type too, you know, I have songs about rockfish recompression and songs about ratfish, and we have a song about lump suckers, lump suckers of love. Because they are just they just want to love and be loved, is my theory about lump suckers. And with a name like lump sucker, what are you gonna do? That's the kind of energy that Ray was bringing that I really appreciated. I was, and then he didn't he love, love. They just want to love. Like what? Then he didn't give us the lump suckers and love song. So well, he wanted to just to buy the album. I guess so. I guess so. Well, um, um, I would love this. I feel like this next clip. This is one of my absolute favorite moments on the show, and I feel like it exemplifies so much of what the show does well and why we're doing it and i think it was a really great way to get people excited about the journey of the fish so let me just roll this this is dan mccaw from our episode on a not not alaska fish on atlantic salmon and their but, migration yeah, but a salmon still a salmon nonetheless oh, thanks for having us so could one of you just describe you know a typical life of a salmon how how does that go Salmon 101, let's see how we do this. Well, right now, it is uh, June in the state of Maine. The Atlantics are starting to come in and be caught, and these salmon have been out in the ocean, so they're coming into freshwater, and they have one thing on their mind. I need to get upstream, I need to hunker down, and I need to find a place to spawn this fall. Now, salmon, when they come into freshwater, they don't eat, but these, these salmon are beyond Olympic athletes in the most pinnacle condition of any animal around the globe at any time of its life. You're talking about peak performing, unbelievable conditions. So they can withstand not eating for five or six months and hanging out and fighting and and live all the way till next spring, go do it again. So they go all the way upriver if they can, 
they find a cold water deep pool. Now these salmon can smell things. They can feel things in the water. They know that there's other salmon around here. So not only are they tied in genetically with past generations and things we can't even understand as an animal with just five senses, but they know things and feel things that we can't understand. So they go to these places where there are other salmon, where they were raised, right in the rivers they were raised in as, as juvenile. They hunker down all summer. They try to avoid the poaching. I go out and, and chase them around with my camera and take pictures of them. And then in the fall, the great roundup begins and the males chase the other males around and bite each other and fight for the, the right and the privilege to spawn with these females that they found. And deep in the gravel where these eggs are buried, all winter long, they lay nice and quiet, covered in ice, hopefully, covered in, in flowing, ice-cold, highly oxygenated water. And these little eggs with these little developing salmon do their business all winter, and they grow and grow and grow. And then in springtime, when the water warms up enough and keyed in perfectly with all the insect life coming alive at the same time, they have. And then they're in fresh water and they live in these beautiful cold water streams in Maine for two years until they're about the size of a cigar. And then that spring, after two years, they turn bright silver and lose their, lose their par marks and their spots and turn bright silver and they make the mad dash for the ocean. But again, much superior to their uh, homo sapien comrades. They turned a switch inside them that allows them to live in salt water, which to me is mind-blowing. Uh, I have trouble just being in water, much less being able to breathe salt and fresh water. Their bodies undergo this massive transformation, which very few fish can do, uh, and they go out to the ocean and they travel. Where do they go? They go to Greenland. They go up around Quebec, up, up through past Nova Scotia, up by Newfoundland, and they head to uh, off the coast of Greenland to the North Atlantic, where the where the food hopefully is really plentiful. And they they live there for a year, year and a half, and they they go from a cigar size to a full size salmon that we know, twelve to fifteen pounds. Then they turn around and they head back to Maine to come visit us again in the springtime. And it's it's wonderful. It's like it's on par with the with the caribou in northern Canada in Alaska and on par with the great migrations that birds do every year or that all the animals do across the African plain. They, the, uh, we as Mainers are so privileged to have this animal live here with us. And uh, I'm so glad that they're coming back this season. So fingers crossed for a good year. That is the best life history description I've ever heard, Dan. Thank you for that. <laughs> that was not a story. That was a performance. And that was for the kids. That's for you kids out there. He got rolling and he wasn't going to stop. He was an unstoppable freight train just moving <laughs> along. Talking about the salmon life history. That was fantastic. Freight train of fish facts. Ooh. And then, and I, that was one of the pieces of information that I retained out of every episode that we've done because like just a couple months ago, I was going to bed my husband and i were watching tv as we were kind of falling asleep and we usually put on a nature documentary as we're sort of settling in and he put on one of the ones from who's the who's the i was texting katrina about this as david it happened attenborough? huh david attenborough no no no, it wasn't david attenborough it's a it's a british guy a young oh, the guy. monster fish monster, the monster guy? Fi the fish jeremy wade that we're not guy <laughs> and it was the very beginning of an episode he was doing it wasn't about fish monsters but he was like going to um he was going to sweden and norway and you know but at the very beginning he was like i'm going after 
a, a most incredible fish that makes the most tremendous migration of all of the wildlife in the Atlantic. It's, it was like building it all the way up, and it's like the journey that they make and the, the way that their bodies change. And I was like, I think he's about to talk about Atlantic salmon. I remember mm -hmm. these guys were amazing. He was like, the Atlantic salmon. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like cheering in bed. My husband thought I was a crazy person. And I was like, no, you don't understand. They, they're amazing. Yeah, like I know this fish. They know this yeah. fish. Uh, so. You forget that, I mean, like where I grew up, you know, the life cycle of a salmon, that's a whole unit you do in elementary school. Mm. Not everyone has that. No. Not everyone is we... as fortunate as us Utahns. Yeah, we didn't do that mm -hmm. in Alexandria, Virginia. Nope. I don't know, did I don't they do that in Springfield, Katrina? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do that. <laughs> So I guess part of why I'm here today is not just to reflect on the previous year, which I'm very happy to do, but also um, to talk about what's coming this year and how we we had such a great first season in Alaska, and now it's time to expand to really sort of all the fish in the United States. And I would love to hear you guys reflect a little bit on what's coming up what can people expect for season two of fish of the week um what are we doing so we are expanding we've done a little bit of um kind of jaunts into the lower 48 states this last season to you know talk briefly about some of the other fish that aren't in alaska but yeah we're expanding to all the all the fish in all the states um i think guy and i are going to be going through our long list of species some of them have come recommended from folks on social media um and yeah it's going to be a mix of fish that you can catch to eat uh, recreational fish um, fish that are important to indigenous peoples um, small fish that are you know maybe micro fishing potential um really just taking a, a broad look at the waters of the u.s and all the the very cool species that we have we have a huge diversity of fish um in freshwater fish that go between freshwater and saltwater and also those kind of coastal species yeah it's it's really exciting i'm really looking forward to getting out beyond alaska i mean i love the diversity there but i, I think there's one week we recorded like three or four different uh, whitefish episodes in a row. And I love whitefish, <laughs> but that's a lot of whitefish. Yeah. Uh, and really, you know, Alaska, as you hopefully learned by listening to this podcast, there are lots of different types of fish in Alaska, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. I assume that's a term that you hear a lot up there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, with respect to the, the fish diverse in the U.S., it's actually quite small. I mean, you start getting into yeah. uh, the continental United States and into the tropics and down to the southeastern and you really start to get into this huge load of diversity and so i'm excited to start really exploring that in, in greater detail like katrina mentioned we've done these little jaunts but to really do it in earnest i'm really looking forward to that yeah and i think we're also going to be i mean continuing to get a lot of different perspectives on the show from fishermen and women to scientists to um, tribal elders, um, just general fish enthusiasts. So I think we're going to continue, you know, that theme as well, looking at all these really cool fish across the U.S. and also all the people that fish mean something to and are of value to people. We're not leaving Alaska behind completely. No, back, back no, 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 no. Nope. 
But what is one fish that you are really hoping that we will do an episode on? You're really gunning for. Guy, you're making faces. There, there's a lot. Uh, I want to do the red-eye bass kind of complex. I want to do bluehead chubs. I think they're really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's other long shot ones. I, I already have guests in mind for those. But, uh, you know, paddlefish. If no one's ever seen a paddlefish, oh, imagine yeah. telling them about a paddlefish. Yeah, I know what a paddlefish uh, is, but I, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And then, like I mentioned before, you know, starting to go at it, go out and get the gar i think again i think we want to revisit gar and, and maybe do another one of those but then going and doing some marine species down in like the caribbean uh talking about there, there's some cool stuff going on with sharks and shark management and shark fisheries one thing that so the show does not have enough of is sharks we need more oh, sharks and i got shark people <laughs> that i can hook us up with just not shark people just wait yeah, I mean, some of the ones on the list already. I mean, we are going to have a goldfish episode, which should be interesting. Um, we're going to... I got my intro I for that one. <laughs> we've got river... Yeah, we've got river herring. We've got bluehead chub, pirate perch, sea lampreys. Um, American probably, shad. Probably American some candy shad. darters. Delta smelts. <laughs> uh, oh, Delta eye. smelts. Oh, yeah. Guy got like, like 100 on here. Mexican golden trout, red horses, red drum... Um, I think we want to get a bass, yeah, a bass episode, maybe some different species, muskies, yeah, to... pike minnows, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, American shad, Rio Grande silvery minnow. I know there's a lot of kind of grand Okay, so fish all the fish. You guys are just listing every Katrina. fish right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the whole list. I was going off of memory. For Pete's sake. Don't... I got the list here. Listen, don't spoil everyone. We even uh, have Twitter recommendations. We've got some oh, good yeah. ones on here. Yeah, Relic so... dace, mummy chugs, freshwater drum. If you all are listening, scaly head sculpins. If our listeners have fish they want to see, it sounds like we have more fish than we can fit, but give us us your fish. It's triple digits in terms of its entries of just ones that we want to do. We got at least a couple seasons here. I just, uh, oh, I just ate a sheep's head for the first time a couple of weeks ago, which was like, they're the the crazy looking tooth fish. Oh, yeah. Uh, They, and it was delicious. Delicious. Um, have I you ever would... seen a Paku's teeth? Maybe. Go, go check them out. Okay, right now. I gotta I... get going, you guys. After... Okay, yeah, I do too. Um... So we hope everyone continues to listen along and keep learning and enjoy all the fish. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore. Post-production by David Hoffman. Production management by Gabriella Montaguin. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. Yeah. All right, what is this thing you're going to play for us? I was just going to have a list of all the fishes I've got. Oh, let's, hey. I'm just going to list them off in alphabetical order by common name. Are you really? (laughs) Yeah, sure. All All right, right, real quick. Uh, African jewelfish, Alabama bass, Alabama hogsucker, Alabama shiner, Altamaha bass, Apache trout, Atlantic needlefish, Atlantic stingray, bandfin, shiner, big mouth, shiner, black bullhead, black crappie, black drum, black spotted sunfish, black tail shiner, 
Blue catfish, blue shiner, blue back herring, bluegill, sunfish, blue head chub, blue striped crunk, both in bronze, darter brook trout, brown trout, bull trout, uh, bullseye, snakehead, butterfly, peacock, bass, central long ear, sunfish, chain pickerel, channel catfish, chisel mouth, coastal shiner, coho, salmon, common carp, common shiner, coosa bass, coosa shiner. I'm scrolling down now. Uh, creek chub, creval jack, cutthroat trout, dollar sunfish, eastern mosquito fish, fathead minnow, flyer, Florida gar, freshwater drum, gap top sail, sea catfish, gila trout, gizzard chad, golden china, grass carp, great barracuda, green shack. <laughs> Sorry, green sunfish, Guadalupe bass, hardhead catfish, hickory shad, ladyfish, largemouth bass, large scale stone roller, line top minnow, long nose killerfish, mangrove snapper, mine, cichlid, mountain whitefish, northern pike, northern pike minnow, northern studfish, Oscar pinfish, pumpkin seed sunfish, rainbow darter, rainbow shiner, rainbow trout, red breast sunfish. All right, scrolling again. <laughs> red breast sunfish, red ear sunfish, red fin pickerel, red side shiner, Rio Grande cichlid, rock bass, rosy fat taste, round goby, saffron shiner, scarlet shiner, smallmouth bass, snail bullhead, spot tail shiner, spotted bass, spotted tilapia, striped shiner, swallowtail shiner, Tennessee shiner, tricolor shiner, up the pike minnow, walleye, war paint shiner, western mosquito fish, white bass, yellow bullhead, yellow person, yellow fin shiner. Woo! That's what I'm at right now. <laughs> oh, and I forgot that I haven't added it. I also caught a war mouth. I caught a warm mouth yesterday, so that's 102. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> well done, sir.